Welcome to the podcast. I'm Bruce Mole from Commonwealth Magazine. With me are State Representative William Strauss, the co-chair of the Legislature's Transportation Committee, and Jim Aloisi, a board member of Transit Matters and a former Secretary of Transportation. In early March, the Massachusetts House passed a transportation bill designed to tackle one of the state's toughest issues, transportation. The bill sought to raise around $600 million for transportation initiatives with higher taxes or fees on gasoline, corporations, ride-hailing services, and vehicle purchases by rental car companies. Weeks later, the world as we know it has changed. We've been enveloped by the COVID-19 pandemic. The economy is in a shambles, and thousands of people are out of work. Our roads and transit system are both relatively empty. Given the new economic reality, is it still time to push ahead with a transportation bill that involves new taxes and revenues? Representative Strauss, let's start with you. What's your thinking today? Well, obviously, uh, the fact that we're doing this uh, interview, podcast uh, uh, remotely, uh, reflects the, the new world that we're all in. And as you say, the world has dramatically changed. Certainly it has in, in Massachusetts since uh, March 4th and March 5th, uh, only a month ago when, when the House was debating this issue. And so the issue to me is exists on a few timelines now that were not apparent to anyone at the, at the time, which is we have an immediate uh, situation, ridership dramatically down in public transit, dramatically down on the roads and, and bridges. Uh, uh, but uh, that has required that some of the issues that, for instance, the MBTA or the regional transit authorities deal with uh, are quite different from a different kind of public safety issue and personal safety issue than we normally think of in transportation. So we don't know the timeline, but certainly the revenue projections that we used in March, whether it's uh, what uh, any penny on the gas tax means, what ride-hailing fee charges mean, what uh, sales tax changes uh, would mean in terms of the fleet purchases by rental companies. All those numbers are, are in question and clearly not better than, than we would have thought a month ago. But we do have the bigger issue because someday things will return. I uh, firmly believe that. None of us knows when. And all of the reasons that have put our transportation system in the best of times in jeopardy of providing the kind of access that the public needs, no matter the mode they travel, all those issues remain out there. So I think it still remains important to have a legislative debate and and the issue addressed. The timeline and the revenue, clearly that's going to be on a different schedule as so many other budget issues are going to have to be, whether it's education, health care, uh, all the rest of the things that the public looks to for us. But um, Representative, it seems like, um, if I'm not mistaken, you've got a couple of months before this session actually ends. Um, and the House has passed a bill. What would still be needed is for the Senate to act and the governor to act. So you're, we're going to be in the thick of things for a while. Are you suggesting that that maybe this be put off until the next legislative session? 
No, no. What I'm saying is, uh, and let me say something, first of all, about the legislative schedule. The joint rules uh, do require and have for over 20 years that in an even-numbered year, otherwise known as an election year, the session end by July 31st in terms of formal, controversial, difficult to uh, find unanimity kind of issues. Uh, There's every possibility, I can't say for sure, that uh, that date will be pushed back in the calendar. That means later in the calendar. So our normal thought that the session ends at the end of July, I think, uh, is open for, for those evaluating this. But uh, we've done many kinds of legislation over the year with uh, dealing over the years dealing with revenue kind of issues with triggers. Uh, that means certain performance levels, whether it's uh, state revenue, employment. You could come up with any number of uh, reasonable or rational uh, triggers to still put in place what the financing ought to be in a balanced way. Uh, related to transportation, related to my preference has always been highest when it looks to the users of the system, but there's got to be a balance reflecting what it takes to get the votes accomplished. So I would not say we're by any means done this legislative session in terms of dealing with transportation. So Jim, what do you hear about this? Well, I mean, I do expect that that there'll be action this year, and I'm glad that the, the the house chairman has um, illuminated us a little bit on the schedule because I think there probably needs to be and ought to be uh, as much flexibility built into that as is possible under these very difficult and unexpected circumstances. So, you know, I'm looking at, I, I mean, last I understood um, the, a transportation bill this year, whenever that happens, has been and continues to be a priority of House leadership and Senate leadership. And and so I think the question really is, um, what's that going to look like? What should it look like in this extraordinary moment? Which, um, as you said earlier, Bruce, the world as we know it is quite different. It probably is going to be quite different for a long time. And Whatever the new, whatever the normal is that we're going to return to, I believe um, it, it will be a new normal. And then the question is, what is that new normal going to look like? And in the transportation sector, what are the implications? What are the implications for many of the assumptions that we have been taking for granted that have been baked in? Will they continue to hold? Um, and there are a lot of us who are in the middle of trying to think pretty hard about that with limited data, um, but with the sense that there will be a new normal and that we need to be thinking preemptively and proactively to deal with it. Certainly, um, I don't think any state in the United States, particularly states that have large urban metropolitan areas like Massachusetts, uh, will be able to manage um, major sectors, whether it's transportation or other sectors, without significant federal assistance. And so we've seen three bills. I, I read today that the fourth bill, which initially people have been speculating might be the quote-unquote infrastructure stimulus bill, won't be, that, that there's been a growing consensus, even with the Speaker Pelosi, um, 
that it really needs to be another emergency relief bill. So that I actually took some heartening from that because I think we need some time to think through what we want to ask the federal government to do for a true infrastructure stimulus bill. We shouldn't rush into it and repeat some of the mistakes that were made in 2009, um, which we can talk about at some point if you want. Um, but if it was important to have a, a comprehensive state transportation bill before COVID, it's going to be critical to have one after COVID. I just think that whatever that ends up being has to be crafted and fashioned in the framework of what we're dealing with, not what we were dealing with on March 1st or 5th or 6th. Unfortunately, what we're dealing with today and what we expect to be dealing with in the future. That's a very different outlook. So I'm, I'm a little puzzled about, I, I get your point about that, but I'm still a little puzzled about what that means because um, let's say you have until, I mean, in August to pass a bill this year, uh, I'm not sure those facts will will sift out by that time necessarily. It, it's a little, we don't really know at this point in time. Well, I'll give you one thing I think we do know. I think we do know that there's going to be some cohort of people, undetermined, but there will be some cohort of people who will have a concern about taking public transportation in a period of let's call it transition from where we are now to a, 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 a place in a time when we're past any legitimate reason to be fearful of the spread of this disease. That could be 10 months, it could be 12 months, it could be whatever that is, that, that transition period where this hopefully we reduce the spread, we flatten the curve, this, the, the spigot is opened a little bit for people to, to get out and do more. Um, people... There, is, there will be a cohort of people who may be fearful of transit because let's be honest, the best form of mobility social distancing is single occupancy driving. And if too many people accept that as true, that's disastrous for the metropolitan region. It's disastrous for the Commonwealth. So there are things that I think we can anticipate. I uh, absolutely agree with that point. We have, from a transportation standpoint, two post-COVID periods, uh, without sounding too wonkish, uh, there will be an unknown time period uh, when uh, people will be able to travel a bit more, but there will be a predictable and expected uh, reluctance to be in public transit settings. So uh, the roads and bridges uh, which uh, you know certainly were uh, super congested before, are actually going to, I think, pick up the bulk of the travel. And that's going to cause uh, some uh, unexpected uh, capacity problems and also some people to uh, suggest, gee, what's the future of public transit? But I think then ultimately, and none of us know when, there will be a period where people are comfortable in substantial numbers returning to public transit. And so... Uh, we have to, in a sense, keep our eye on both and think about how money gets spent with, with that in mind. But to your question, Bruce, well, given all that, what do you accomplish this year? And, and so that's why I made the suggestion, I'll make it a little more explicit now, 
that in terms of where revenue comes from, uh, and I use as a baseline the the belief that more revenue is needed, and even money we used to, we, the legislature has provided in the past, say for operations to the T, for example, I don't think has been correctly spent by the administ- administration. But we can uh, have, and and now it's open to debate uh, and discussion, uh, what kind of triggers would cause changes in gas tax uh, rates to change, uh, Uber and Lyft fees to change, things like that, just as we did with, um, uh, for better or worse, uh, income tax levels based on state revenue numbers. We can, we can set those milestones out there, I would say, this year uh, and, and, and have that, uh, that debate about uh, where money should be spent, and ultimately, what are the modes of transportation we're trying to promote? The difficulty, a lot of times historically, and that has occurred not just in Massachusetts but anywhere in transportation, is we do tend to focus on projects to deal with today's or even worse, yesterday's problems, and then when they get done, uh, we haven't uh, actually fixed whatever that day's. Uh, issues are. That's always uh, uh, a challenge. Uh, it will be, but it's ever more important now to think in terms of where we'd want to be spending money for the next phase post-COVID. Let me let me take uh, a cue from what the chairman just said, uh, which um, I, I think he and I are, are, I think we're both saying the same thing, which is there's going to be this this period of transition, and then there'll be the new normal. No one knows when those will be, but the transition period will obviously come sooner than than the new normal. Um, I think on the transit side, one of the things that we need to understand, and we're not going to understand it in the immediate short term, if there's a cohort of people who are shifting away from transit because they're fearful of transit, not all of them will drive, right? Some of them, depending on where they are, where they live and where they work, some of them will shift to walking. Some of them may shift to cycling. Um, some of them will shift to driving. So we need to understand if there's 10%, if it's 15%, if it's 11%, what are the subsets? Because if someone has decided to walk instead of take the T, well, they're not paying a T fare, but that's a form of sustainable mobility that is perfectly consistent with the values and the needs of our common desire to have cleaner air and a, and a more functioning society. Um, if they're moving into single occupancy vehicles, it's a different issue entirely. So we need to know that. We need to think about a plan to respond to the fears. And one of the things that I've been thinking and talking about recently is ask, and this is where the federal government comes in, but also in partnership with the state. Take the bus as an example. Um, There are retrofits that could be done on every MBTA bus and regional transit authority bus that would increase people's comfort levels. What are those retrofits? State-of-the-art airplane quality HVAC systems that have fresh airflow. Uh, Best practices panels between drivers and riders. Uh, Back rear door boarding with a, a fair collection system that may need to be reimagined from the one that the T currently ha- has been thinking about. So we, there, are, there are tactics that can be, there are retrofits that could make the bus better. Dedicated bus lanes on key routes. 
could make that bus experience better because more frequency, more buses, more capacity means less crowding. So those are the tools that we know we have. And I think this is an opportune moment when no one's driving and, and the, the streetscape is, is not congested to begin thinking about introducing key routes as dedicated lanes, to take the experiments that have been happening in Boston and Everett and, and, and Somerville and Cambridge and make them more permanent and more expansive, to think about best bus retrofits as part of a federal stimulus support package for agencies like the T. And for the T to be, and for the state to be thinking about how it supports those kinds of efforts, right? So there's that category of things that I think is in our control now to think about, plan for, and implement. On the, the, the vehicular side, uh, a very good friend told me today that he went out, which he shouldn't have done, uh, but he went out, um, and he bought gas at $1.99 a gallon. So seems to me that the price of gas is so low. Now, part of that is because of the Russia-Saudi uh, uh, thing, and part of that is because no one's driving. Um, perfect time to introduce a gas tax, in my opinion, because, um, I mean, the, the price of gas is so low that it won't be a burden. The net, the net sum to the driver might still be less than it was pre-COVID. So I wouldn't be abandoning these ideas. I'd be thinking more about how to take advantage of the opportunity that we have in front of us and think about it creatively. And so I think my, my point to tie this up is we do have tools at our disposal. And, and I think now's the time for people who are able to do it, to give thought to it so that um, both we're influencing the federal bill, which we certainly can hopefully do with the leadership uh, that we have in this Commonwealth from Chairman Neal and, and, and McGovern, and also at the state level to think about how we complement that. Um, let me just add one other point. Uh, and, and, um, and again, um, I, 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 Bruce, I hope you're comfortable with guests who are agreeing with each other. Uh, well, sometimes on these shows, that's not the case, but, uh, but in this case, in all seriousness, uh, the, the comfort issue about public transit is important, and I'll give you an example and then a, a suggestion. Uh, I've noticed, uh, I went to a couple of the airlines' web pages uh, just to see what they were doing and, and see how, uh, if there were anyone thinking of flying, uh, just what fares are like. But, but one of the issues that uh, a couple of the airlines I saw are doing is, uh, because they have control over this, they're guaranteeing a... Uh, dispersion of people so that whatever the capacity in seats is on a plane, they are guaranteeing they will not sell that many, that they will provide seating that gives you uh, the physical distance, which I think is a better term than social distance, the physical distance among passengers. Something like that, certainly in a bus or subway sense, uh, more in a bus maybe, is conceivable in terms of letting the public know that uh, whatever the maximum uh, capacity that the operator uh, would have on a bus previously is going to be very different during the transition period so that people feel when they step on a bus, uh, there is that ability to spread out. Now, that's, that's a financial impact for sure. 
but uh, but there has to be at the end of the day a a comfort level as as uh, as Jim indicates for people to to return. Certainly, our uh, roadways, which I view as uh, uh, public utility lines, I've said this uh, with you, Bruce, before. Uh, the idea that the streetscape uh, is a tool for how the future of the transportation system uh, uh, exists, particularly in the concentrated uh, urban areas, uh, is something that I agree we could, in a sense, take advantage of to the extent you can have something uh, good or positive come, come out of this and, and make efforts to say, how are we using that? Is the streetscape that uh, was created where it's catch as catch can for all different kinds of vehicles still how the system should should operate in terms of something like dedicated lanes, uh, access to curb space, uh, things like that? Let me play a little devil's advocate with the two of you two on this. Um, I hear you guys talking about the opportunity right now and the need to maybe pass a transportation bill that has triggers for revenues. I'm not exactly sure how that would work, but let me be crass about it. Uh, We're gonna have a huge number of people out of work. We're gonna have the economy in shambles. What are the optics of the legislature passing a revenue raising bill for a transportation system that you both sound as if you're not sure what it's gonna look like as we come out of this? That's what I'm, trying to get at. Bruce, if you're driving a car, um, presumably you're working. So the, the, the co- folks who are taking, I mean, this is the lesson of the moment in terms of why the use of, of vehicular uh, of vehicles and transit is plummeted, because most of the time people are going to jobs. And so presumably if they're back on the T or if they're back driving, they've got jobs. So I think that's not an equivalence in terms of worrying about how are we going to increase a tax on someone who's out of work? Well, the tax is not imposed on someone who's out of work. If they're not, if you're out of work, you're probably not driving. And there are there are other there, there are ways to think about the the gas tax uh, under these circumstances. I think uh, maybe phasing it in, maybe uh, providing certain cohorts some some benefit of of, of a tax break um, depending on their their work. But I think so. I. I think by definition, most people, if they're driving, they've got a job and they're making money. So that's point one. Point two is, in terms of the T, this is a public health and safety issue. If we think about the cohort of people who are taking the T today, let's, just, let's say that that cohort is, is the T at its lowest ebb in terms of who is taking it. And who are those people? Predominantly, I think, people who work in the healthcare and public safety and service uh, arenas and, and, and some blue collar, lower income people who still have jobs in different arenas. That's the, that is the cohort of people who continue to use the T and depend on it. And it's largely about public health and safety. And so getting the T back up and running with better capacity, better frequency and, and systems that give people a higher level of personal comfort is really critical to those people and to everyone else. And I think that's how we need to start to think about it. Um, and, I'm, and I'm glad that, that the chairman uh, uh, has agreed and, and, and reaffirms 
in dense urban areas, if this is the perfect time to be saying, you know, we've tested, we've experimented with the dedicated lanes. Let's do more of it and let's make it permanent. And let's give people who cycle safe lanes because we know that a certain percent of people will shift to cycling. Let's make it safe for them and inviting. This is that opportunity to make things like that happen. Um, and let me just add on the, the the notion of what I'm saying about triggers. Uh, as I say, we did it certainly in terms of when uh, certain income tax rate reductions to, went into effect. If you consider different uh, metrics like uh, state tax revenue, employment numbers, uh, where sales tax revenue, there are all different kinds of measurements that would be an indicator of uh, people being back at work and a healthier economy. Uh, those are the things I'm talking about. I, I, I understand exactly what Jim is saying about, uh, people, you know, might not notice, uh, if you put, uh, some pennies back on the gas tax at this point, but I don't think, um, I don't think that would be necessarily be viewed that way by the great majority of my colleagues, which ultimately are the people who would have to vote and explain something like that. But I don't think the public would would uh, see it exactly that way because uh, nevertheless, uh, they are the ones who, who uh, have to pay this. So um, I think uh, my thought at this point, and we're learning every day, if not our, uh, the, the changing landscape is that uh, we do set the priorities. We do think, use this to our advantage to think in terms of the future transportation system in a way really we couldn't before. Uh, you couldn't you couldn't contemplate many of these system uh, changes because uh, you had a system actively running and uh, beyond its uh, its guardrails at the point. So. Uh, but I do think, and, and it goes to the beginning of this, this show, uh, this still is a legislative session that cries out for transportation legislation. Well, I thank you, Jim Aloisi and Representative Bill Strauss. That was a great discussion. And to our listeners, we'll see you next week. Thank you very much. Thanks. Stay well, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.